0: Six one seven, respond to report of shots fired.
1: The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians,
0: and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management. Bringing real stories and solid training together in one source.
1: Now, here's your host.
0: Darren Dake. Well,
1: hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in on iTunes dedicated to you, the men and women working the field of death investigation. Hey, I'm very, very excited to be behind the mic here again this week. Lots of exciting things happening at the Coroner Talk studios, the Death Investigation Academy, a lot of new trainings, a lot of things just, just are exciting happening around here. And so, I'm going to tell you about some of that today, but then also we are going to be talking to Terry Armenta from the F- uh, Forensic Science Academy in Southern California. She's going to be talking about not only her history, but what the Academy offers, some case studies, some things that she's done. Uh, very, very interesting conversation that I'm going to have with Terry Armenta. But an interesting little fact that I want to share with you is last week, the episode that was released was about hyperthermia. Now, not on the day that it was released, but on the day that I recorded that episode. It was interesting that I recorded that episode that morning. And later that afternoon, I had went on call with my agency. And I had a case that turned out to be a hyperthermia case. So It was just interesting that that morning I talked to you about it. And then that afternoon, I actually had a hyperthermia case. And I won't share all the details of the case with you. But what actually happened in this situation was because of this, the way the scene looked, The way the gentleman was was in uh, where he was found and and how he was found and things like that. uh, It just it looked to be like it could be a hyperthermia case. Now, the house itself was 91 degrees. I took ambient temperatures uh, around the the, where he was located and around the house. The ambient temperature was 91 degrees and it was about uh, 630 in the evening. And he had been heard from the night before at about 4.30. So he actually um, had been last known alive like 26 hours before. So anyway, he'd been dead for a while, not a long, long time, but a while. He was in full rigor, but he, he did have an elevated body temperature. So with everything else about the scene and, of course, with my mind, thinking about hypothermia, because obviously I just did that episode, uh, recorded that episode for you. Uh, but things just looked like it could be a hypothermia case based upon scene features and some other things. I chose to do an internal body temperature. And by doing that, I found that his internal body temperature was over 104. Now, he was indoors, not in direct sunlight. The how the house temperature was 91 And even that day, it had not gotten above 100 degrees outside. So his internal body temperature being 104 uh, led me to believe that it was most likely a a hypothermia case because, again, his regulatory system failed and increased his body temperature. Yes, after death, body temperature does go up a little bit, but not that far. And it has to be above that even to be coming down. So we went ahead and sent for autopsy. I wanted to make sure we didn't have anything else internal going on. And uh, no bad infection, something he died from or something. and But no, there wasn't. So it was just interesting to note that when you got these cases that you might think is a hypothermia case, you need to think about a internal body temperature. Because without that, there really wasn't anything else about the body that would have showed us the why he died. By the time the pathologist got the body, of course, it had been cooled down because it had been in the cooling facility. So... Without that, we wouldn't have ruled it correctly. With that information and what the doctor found in conjunction with that, he agreed that it was a hypothermia situation. So do you take internal body temperature on everything? No, but sometimes it's important to take and you need to have the equipment and the knowledge available to take those. So let me give you two quick announcements, and I'll get into the conversation with Terry. So as this recording comes out, it is August 2018. The Death Investigator Magazine August issue is available in your reader if you're a subscriber. If not, go to deathinvestigatormagazine.com. That's deathinvestigatormagazine.com and subscribe there. You can find the links on the website as well. And then, of course, as far as training goes... The, the Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy, which is a nationally certified academy, certification test can come with that. There are states using this for their primary coroner training uh, for new electees and new hires and things like this. This has been vetted, and this is something that is becoming, hopefully, continue to grow as a national standard. At this point, it is very, very well received. So it's the online academy. It's 40-plus hours online academy. That is in September the Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy in September. Now, in October, if you lack classroom training, we'll have the Medical Legal Death Investigation Level 1. That is three solid packed days worth of training here in our facility in Missouri. It's a great time to come. We got people from all over the state to come. We do it twice a year. We get people from all over the country come. Um, and then we also have people from a uh, outside the country come. And this time we have people from the U.S. Virgin Islands, three investigators from there flying in, and then other states are coming in. So it's a great networking opportunity and a great training opportunity. That is in October of 2018. You can find all that on our website. Uh, If you have any questions, you can also contact me from the website and I can give you some information there. But all of those links will be in the show notes, um, either on the smartphone that you're listening to, your iPad, or even on the website itself. So lots of training coming up this fall, stuff that you want to get involved in. And this, this National Academy training, Online Academy, uh, is, is a great, great thing that you might want to take a look at for you and your agency. Like I said, there are states now that make it their mandatory training for investigators. So it's something that's nice that we're able to bring and that you're able to have access to. So with all of that said, let me get into this conversation that I have with Terry Armenta. She is the founding director of the Forensic Science Academy there in Southern California. Fantastic person, fantastic trainer. Many of you probably have heard of her, but I'm going to dig deep into some uh, things about her, her personally and her academy and some of the people she's trained, some case studies she's done, things like that. It's a really, really fun and exciting conversation I'm going to have. So without any further delay, let's get into that conversation
0: adjust your earbuds turn up those speakers and hang on it's now time for this week's featured conversation
1: all right joining me by phone as i introduce a little bit is terry armenta terry i am so happy you're on the show today hey i'm
0: I'm really happy to be here it's always a very good great pleasure to to speak to you and talk about what we love to talk
1: about (laughs) well yeah exactly and i know that you know you're on the phone and you're driving so those that that, uh, listen to podcasts will hear a little bit of driving noise and stuff but you know the reality of it is we're trying to make this a different time but with with electrical problems and stuff going on at your house and probably we just couldn't do it so you know what we're going to jump on the phone on your drive and we're going to make it happen and if it don't sound great the information is better than the sound how's that
0: that's great, and uh, yes, I am driving, so you, the listeners, you know, I do have my Bluetooth on, so I am safe,
1: and it's uh,
0: it's okay. It's all
1: great. If we hear a screaming and glass crashing, then we'll understand we do have a problem. So, <laughs> Right. You'll, you guys will be the first ones to know. <laughs> right. So I, I want to talk about you and the Forensic Science Academy, and it's really interesting, um, but I am interested, though, and I think a lot of my listeners would be, too, is um, what's your... What's your background career other than forensic science? I mean, when did you become in forensic science? But certainly you probably worked at Burger King when you were a teenager or something, right? I mean, what's your background like before that?
0: Uh, yes, actually I actually I did I did work at a place here in Southern California called Thrifties, you know, scooping ice cream. That was uh that was way back when, way 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 back when. But it was during that time that I had decided that I was going to go pre-med, you know? The whole science thing, I, I love it. I'm a big science rat. Um, I just love the whole thing. The, the the chemistry lovers out there, you know, we embrace each other. People who don't like that chemistry word, you know, I completely understand. So my background, um, you know, I did a lot of uh, little things. Leading up to my career in college, but I did a lot of volunteer things because, you know, when we're all young, we really don't know what we want to do. And I advocate for volunteering in, in animal hospitals, which is where I got started. And hospitals, things like that, so you can give back to your community, as well as building up your resume at 16, 17, 18 years of age, and then you're ready, hopefully you're ready to get into college. But yeah, I, I, I did my share of, of retail and things like that, and I just fell into the whole lab thing. Um, so I, I just love science and what it can do. And how it's propelled my, my my career now. So I'm a big science advocate. I just love that stuff. It's a it's a great thing. I love it.
1: So you volunteered in animal shelters and veterinaries, so you must be a an animal lover. So do you have a pet? Do you have a dog or a cat?
0: I do. I I have two cats, uh Madison. And Murray and I have two dogs, Chip uh, and Izzy. Chip is after chocolate chip cookies because that is my big vice in life. Uh, When I get stressed, I kind of reach out for the chocolate chip cookies. So uh, it was just, (laughs) it was just a natural thing to name. My dog, uh, Chip. So, that's, uh, so now everybody knows uh, to get to Terry's heart, you got to give her some chocolate chip cookies. So that, that's I have to do that in, in moderation, right? Yeah. So I'm a big animal lover. Uh, at one time, I, I was part of a corporation that owned several animal hospitals and several mobile vaccine clinics. And that was in the mid-1980s to maybe the mid-1990s. Uh, so um, my track was was that because it was science-based and at the time when I was in school my first degree it was you know pre-vet pre-med type of thing so I wasn't too sure so I had graduated with just a a basic biology with a minor in chemistry because again at that time I wasn't too sure if I was going to go the vet route or the or or the human medicine route so that's where that went.
1: So, but somehow along the lines, then you got interested in forensic science—not just science, but forensic science. What kind of led you that direction to want to do it for the forensic side?
0: Oh well, I'm I'm from the school of of, of um, 1970s crime shows. I kind of like those things, and there was a there was a program called Columbo. He um, was just this this rumpled. Old guy in a, in a trench coat that solved crimes. And, and my, I remember my dad always watching the show, and I kind of got involved in that, you know, the reruns and things like that. And when I was in a pre-med program, um, I, I wanted a break because I was, I was getting burned out with school, okay? So, and I think all of us can relate to that. We get burned out with our passion sometimes. And um, I went with my sister to a job fair, and at that particular spot, Um, They were promoting this program called the um, Forensic Identification Program at a local college, and I completely fell in love with it. I thought, oh, I want to dip my toe into that because, you know, I think it's something I'd like to do. So what I did is I took a leave of absence from my pre-med studies, and I enrolled in that program. It was a six-month-long program, and this was uh, back in 2000, and I went through the program, and I realized two things. One... I was in the wrong, um, you know, career path because I realized I didn't want to save anybody. I was more attracted to, and, you, and we can, your listeners will understand, this, I was more attracted to the science of death, what happens to an individual, and two, I was completely hooked on this thing called forensic science, and I thought, this is it. I found my calling. So I went through that program, I graduated with that program, and about four months later, the the Founder of that program said, "Hey Terry, you know what? We're going to put together a DNA module. Are you interested? Because that's that's my background: DNA and serology and chemistry, as I said before." So I said, "Yeah, hey, no problem. I can do that." And so I started teaching in that program while I was uh, applying to various forensic-related positions and such. So it's funny because although I didn't. Um, get to where I wanted to be career-wise at that point, it, it burst my, my teaching career. So it's always that trade-off. You know, you always find something that you don't think you really are going to love, and you just kind of stumble upon it. So that's how that's how I got started in that whole thing we call forensic science, the fun in forensic science. So
1: uh, exactly. And I, that was a question it. I was going to ask you, is what actually drew you to teaching? So, of course, you were, uh, at this point, you said you were asked to teach and you did, but did you know right away that you enjoyed the teaching aspect uh, or did it take a while or uh, talk to us about that? Cause yeah, you was asked to teach, but how did you know you really liked it? And when did it click that this is what I want to do?
0: Um, I, I love to talk. I, I'm not shy about that. I've always been like that when I was a kid. Um, so to teach in front of uh, students to present uh, in any manner, whether I was in high school or college, or even grad school. It, it was just a natural thing for me. So I was allowed the freedom to create this curriculum for the, for the DNA module. And it just kind of took off. I loved it. And then soon I was teaching other courses. But here was the thing. When I was teaching other courses, I knew that I needed some specialized training. So again, um, I got myself involved in LA County corners over here, Orange County corners, uh, again, in here in California, uh, reserve training, uh, sheriff's training, uh, anything for that, so I could be more Um, skilled in teaching what I needed to know. And during all that time, you know, you kind of get involved in the law enforcement and the forensic professional world, and they just embraced me as I was doing all these other things that I was teaching about. So it it added more uh, training and professional proof, because I always tell my students, you need professional proof in order to show that you know what you're talking about. So, it kind of did a twofold thing. It it solidified my my career in teaching and also solidified my training that I had previously. So, it was it was a win-win for me.
1: Well, that led somehow then into Forensic Science Academy. So, and that's where we're at today. So, when did Forensic Science Academy begin and how did it did it begin as as large as it is now? Or did it begin with one online class or Tell us a little bit about what Forensic Science Academy is.
0: Well, the Forensic Science Academy is a 200-hour hands-on training program here in Southern California. And um, remember, I was teaching in a related program that was here, again, in Southern California. And that program, in a sense, was given to me, and I just kind of ran with it. So we're talking about... Uh, in the mid 2000, about 2010, uh, the founder of that identification program, she decided to retire, Dr. Janice Kavanaugh. She's still teaching, but she doesn't do the Forensic Science Academy any longer. So she, in a sense, gave me the program because, remember, I was teaching from about 2001 to 2010 in, in the program, and she just handed it to me. And I talk about a career opportunity. Yes, I grabbed it. So at that time, what I did is uh, the onset of e-learning was just coming, and I started creating online courses, still keeping intact that same foundation of a six-month-long program, uh, 200 hours of training. So what I've done now is to incorporate more of the online training, with the on-site training. So I do have students that, for whatever reasons, they can't come to Southern California, so we do offer uh, online training. But the, the flagship program is the, the hands-on, on-site training. So that's where it is now. I you know I'm truly unfortunate because it's becoming more and more of a needed resource for students wanting to get into the forensic field. And, you know, coupled with... Your courses and your training and other individuals, you know, it's this big group of professionals who want to train the people that want to get into the field versus feeling threatened that these other individuals want to get into the field. I think that's the glue that holds you and I together and other people that we know together because we want to train people the right way so they can, in a sense, get started like we did.
1: No, that's that's 100 percent right. Now, you mentioned that you have a six month program. So obviously it's not it's not uh, it's it's 200 hours. So it's not six months straight. So how does your academy broke up? So the
0: Academy has uh, six training modules. It's um, basic crime scene investigation and advanced crime scene investigation, fingerprint identification and classification, and death investigations, So and crime scene photography. So each month there's a different module that is offered. So, for example, it's about two weekends um, per month, and that's just one module. So we usually start off with fingerprints, so there's your two weekends, about 32 hours there and then it just goes through the course of the six months so each month there's a different module that's offered
1: okay that makes sense so there's not one yeah there's not one specific area you concentrate on it's the full program now if i was wanted just to come in and take the fingerprint section could i just register for that portion but not take the full academy
0: yes you can you can do that Um, but I, and I welcome students that do that. I also tell students, you need to be well-rounded. So, for instance, if you want to be a latent print examiner or just get into, you know, fingerprint for AFIS or whatever the case might be, sometimes those positions aren't readily available. They won't open up first. What positions do open up is generally this uh, evidence technician or crime scene investigator, something along that line. So I encourage students to take as many classes as they can to become marketable. So, for example, if you've got classes for crime scene investigation and you can get yourself into that position, well, of course, if your desire is to be a latent print examiner or fingerprint individual, well, go into crime scene investigation first and then go over when the position opens for fingerprint. But if you just pigeonhole yourself and it's just that one class that you've taken, well, then you've missed all those other opportunities to apply to and possibly get hired as. So I tell my students, you've got to be, you know, well-rounded. You've got to be marketable. That's the biggest key. Don't Don't just say, I want to do this because it might lend you, you might be ending up to this other position and you'll lateral over. I've, I've had students that because they can't get in, they go to the law enforcement side and then they get in that way. So I had one student, a uh, forensic nurse, she, but she wanted to work as crime scene uh, investigator. So she did her nursing thing, did the forensic nursing thing for a while. And then finally, just this year, she went over to crime scene investigators. So it's just this, this pathway that students take, um, but there are some that are just definite, uh, like you and I have talked about. They want to be a, a death investigator, corner investigator, medical legal investigator. And then so they focusing on that. So we, you know, I, I know we've talked about this. We put them into that particular pathway, but training is the most important thing, whatever you do, because you want to make sure you understand what happened before and what happened after. So if you're a crime scene investigator, you want to make sure what happened before when it was collected, right? Or uh, photographed. If you're a criminalist, you're, you know, you're working in a lab, you have to know what happened how and how it was collected by your crime scene investigator. So it's all one, this one big, I guess, unit talking to each other.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right, because we're all in the same team. Uh, we all do different things. And sometimes uh, when, I, when we have students in a classroom or even our online program, some of the things that uh, we teach, uh, some coroners will say, well, you know, you're teaching about uh, cordon, you know, cordon off an area of a crime scene. We, do, we don't do that. We don't carry a crime scene tape. That's up to the police. OK, you're right in some areas. In some areas, the coroners actually do do that. But, my, but what I've said is this. You may not be the one cordoning off the area, but you should know that it needs to be done. So I'm going to so we are a, what we call hybrid. You can take our death investigation class. And if, if these are the things that the police should do, then you tell them to do it. If this is a corner stuff, then you do that. If it's but but we train you how to work the scene as a death investigator. And, and again, you know, we don't think we don't teach fingerprinting. But and you do, but as as a death investigator, understanding the fingerprint process is important because that it allows you not to maybe mess stuff up and touch stuff and things like that, you know. And and so you had, um, you know, you had said that you have a classroom and online training. Now, are, do they go hand in hand? Like somebody takes their online and the classroom, or is it an either or?
0: Um, it can it actually can be either or. Um, again. The online uh, courses are there to supplement uh, the Forensic Science Academy and or to supplement their previous uh, uh, learning from perhaps a university or another training um, program or even just for general knowledge. So, I I mean, I I have uh, one colleague. He just recently retired. Uh, He's an underwater crime scene investigator, um, and he took one of our classes just for general knowledge to solidify his 35 plus years of experience. But again, he wanted to make sure that he was still keeping up with everything. Uh, So it just depends, you know, the the students and I classify everybody as the students, even the professionals, they have their own reason to take the online courses, but it's it can talk to ev- any program. It can talk to uh, programs such as yours, giving them an, an introductory about uh, physical evidence. It can talk to university uh, courses about forensic science. So, and then I use some of the online courses as prerequisites for the Forensic Science Academy. So I try to do it in such a way that it will hit uh, everybody that is interested for whatever reasons in their career path or even trying to figure out what their career path might be. I mean, some people want deaths, some people want crime scenes, some people want fingerprints, some people just don't know. So, you know, try to hit everybody in, in order to give them the the knowledge, or at least the research tools, to say, "Hey, you know what? I kind of like how this blood evidence is. Maybe I should explore more about, you know, serology. Or maybe I should explore more about blood stain uh, patterns." You know, so it starts it starts them thinking about where they should go and, and how they should go on to their career path. So I think it just it's a, it's a much needed thing, and it just feeds into anything that the student may be exposed to.
1: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, Terry, I got two more questions for you, and I know you've got your academy starting this morning. So uh, the next thing I want to know is, uh, you know, what do your students say that their, their main goal for taking and completing your training is? Well, you've touched on it a little bit. You've kind of mentioned some things, but is there any one goal of, of this, uh, the students and in your academy, what's their primary purpose? Or, or is there a primary? Is it so broad that there's so many different reasons? Well, it, it, is,
0: it is broad. I've had students that have come to the academy because um, they want to be more knowledgeable about how to write a screenplay for forensic science shows. So I have a student, uh, this is years ago, that she did that. I've had individuals, uh, arson investigator, that she wanted to know just a little bit more about crime scenes versus ar- arson. So th- the majority of my students, they're pretty much focused on a forensic career. And usually the majority of them are either death investigator or crime scene investigator. Okay, that's the majority of them. But here's the thing. When they go through the academy, something clicks. I see this every single class. Something clicks, and they think, hey, you know what? I think I want to go do document examiner. I think I want to go do linguistics. I think I, so it starts them thinking about that yes, maybe I should just start off uh, with the crime scene investigation and yes, I'll probably love it. But I also know, speaking from the student's uh, perspective, I also know there's something else around the bend that I can start really focusing in on once I'm established and working in a forensic-related field. And it doesn't, I always tell them, it doesn't just have to be an agency. It could be private sector as well. I've had students that, you know what, what, law enforcement, they were injured, they were medically retired, they came to the academy, and guess what? They started their own PI business. They started something else to propel them to their next step of their of their career choice. So, I look at the academy, and most of the students do, do, do as well, as, as something that introduces them to what they're ultimately trying to achieve. And yes, majority of them do go into the crime scene investigation route, um, but a lot of them will go even further. So consultants, they go into medical field. I just had one student, I wrote a letter of recommendation. She came into the academy. This was about seven years ago. Now is going into medical school. So because she wants to become what a a pathologist, forensic pathologist. So it's that it's that it's that whole like that the whole family we were talking about. We all kind of talk to each other, and the students have their own specific reasons. But you know, it, it, I think it comes down the line for them. It's, just, it's not automatically, oh, this is what I want to do. They have to explore it. Some people want the death investigations, and but then you know you take them to the corners when we go for the for the, the field trip, the on site visit, and they can't handle it. So. What can they fall on? Hey, but you can fall on your crime scene investigation training and go that way.
1: So yeah, yeah, very it's not good. A specific thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very good. And you did mention one student, but but I what I have to ask, you don't have to mention names necessarily, but do you have any stories, success stories from your students? Like, do you have a, a particular student just went through your class that's now the coroner somewhere, or you know, the the president of a college, or I mean, do you have any good success stories of where you're where you know your students have been? Because I know in our academy, we have a lot of people go through our academy, and some we keep up with, some we don't know. They make pursue the field or not we don't always know that um do you have any stories of where someone has really taken this and succeeded oh yes gosh
0: um i was uh, back in february two two of my former students one from class 2015 and one from class 2017 were hired at different agencies but within the same week and that was in that was in february so they both got hired as crime scene investigators. I had the one student that I was speaking to you about, about uh, she's a screenplay writer. She has two movies that just came out. Um, I had one um, that uh, went into the forensic nursing, and now she's involved in the Forensic Nurse Association. Um, so I have many students. I've got former students that are now my teachers. So I just hired one that was, again, from 2015 class, and her expertise is teaching laser photography. Uh, so just hired her. had another one who, uh, gosh, from 2009, uh, he's working for a law enforcement agency as a crime scene investigator, and uh, he, he does our drone stuff. So, I, it's yeah, I, got, I could take up your whole podcast. Doing that. So yes, the, the successes are there. And like you said, it's kind of hard to keep up with everybody. But if you get yourself involved in, like I am with the local, uh, forensic organizations, I just went to one com- conference and oh, my past students. I had met one from 2003 and he's working in San Diego as a crime scene investigator. So yes, I do lose contact with some, uh, but with the majority of them, they're, they're on my heels. to say, saying, "Hey, Terry, this is what I did," and blah 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 blah. And then you know, so again, it's 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 great to see them succeed, and to hear their stories of their pathway to uh, their own career choice. And I'm I'm very proud that the forensic science academy was part of that.
1: Right. Yeah, it's something to be proud of. And I do just have one more follow-up question. Uh, you know, this is not just for people living in Southern California, I mean, as far as just living and working there, this is a national program, correct? You have people from all over come to California to take your course, right? Yes.
0: Uh, this this current class, which is ending soon, I had one student from Georgia, she relocated. And for class 2019, I have a student from Belgium. She is relocating uh, from Belgium to Southern California to take The forensic science academy. So you talk about a big wow. So yes, I have students from all over. I'm getting inquiries from students from different countries to see if they can manage that six-month time here. I know that there's some things involved that are out of my control, so they they have to figure that out. But I'm getting more and more students actually from the East Coast um, looking at and trying to figure out how they can do that six-month thing. Because, again, it's a module a month. So it's it's the travel time, but yeah, we'll either, traveling work, that forth, either traveling back and forth,
1: either traveling back and forth, or having you know, if you could drive in, you could drive in, stay three days, come back, do that a couple times a month. But yeah, if you're very far, you have to move out there, right? You know, first. So for the yeah. future, you need to have the future goal, like I do. I want to buy out not not some big massive thing, but I would love to have a hotel where the bottom floor is all my training. I've got scenario rooms, kitchen, all that, plus. I can have students stay upstairs, so when they come in for a week training or two week training, I can house them, I can feed them, and I can train them one one stop shopping yeah. and you need that, yeah, oh yeah, I know because the need is there, the need is there, otherwise you and
0: I wouldn't exist
1: and exactly, uh, our, exactly our our
0: our training it, it's, the need is there i'm I'm looking at instructors from uh two to start their satellite academies okay so the instructors i employ the instructors and then let's say they're in i don't know las vegas Arizona, and then the students go there. So I'm trying to expand further across the United States um, to get instructors, and I would just fly in there. Here's the curriculum, blah blah blah, and let's get them trained for you know the six month thing. So I envision, much like you, you I envision all these six month long training programs going on in in different states and different regions. So yeah, that's the big plan because again, like I said before, the need
1: is there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Terry, I know you've got this uh, academy class you're getting to, so. Thank you again for coming on and, and telling us a little bit about your history and, and to make sure you, you know, scr- scratch chips ears when you get home after a while. And, and uh, I hope you have a, have a wonderful class today. How many students are in the class that you're getting ready to finish up?
0: Uh, we're getting ready to finish up 19. We only accept 20 students um, a year, so we, we kind of capped out. Uh, this was a, a large class. So we're, we're finishing up our advanced crime scene uh, investigation module this weekend, and then we start in a few weeks for the death investigations module. So And then we're done. We're done until 2019. So yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, it's bittersweet, but I, I just love it. I, it's Like I said, it's bittersweet, but it's, it's the greatest thing to see the students go out and let them soar and fly and, and do whatever I can do to help them get there.
1: Fantastic. Uh, one last favor, when you get there this morning, when you open up the class, have everybody get out their smartphones. Go to their podcast catcher and download the coroner talk podcast you can they can download it on their phones this morning. Every student should have it on their phones by nine o'clock, okay so that's that's okay, your homework. I
0: promise. I will <laughs> I will I'll do that. Thank you, Darren. So
1: all right, well, Terry, I'll let you go. Thank you again for coming on. I'll talk to you soon, okay, thank you, Darren. All right, I'm back with you live, so to speak. But well, I just love talking to Terry. She's a, gr- a great inspiration and a great trainer. And if you're anywhere near Southern California or that you can commute back and forth and take that, her uh, academy training, also online, Forensic Science Academy is also online. You can take a lot of the courses there. Of course, the hands-on stuff is going to be, t- uh, of course, not available, be difficult to do, but there's a lot of stuff on there. So again, Terry, thank you again for being on the Corner Talk podcast and sharing with us. I appreciate everything that you do for this community. And so for you, the listener, if you have not, I'll ask again. I haven't asked for a few weeks. If you, again, will go to whatever podcast directory you have, whether it be iOS or Android or whatever, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, Undercast, Downcast, whatever you use for a podcast, would you please go in and leave us a rating and a review? It doesn't do anything for me. It might stroke my ego a little bit, depending, or you might hurt my feelings, depending. But anyway, regardless, here's what it'll do. It'll help somebody else coming along find the show and say, Huh, I wonder if this is a good show. And what they read in there, good and bad, will let them decide whether or not they want to jump on the show. And if this is your first show, please stick around for three episodes because in three you'll find a fit. If you don't like this one, I'm sure you'll like the next one. So but your rating and review helps immensely for people. You know, when you go on Amazon, you will you don't normally buy anything from Amazon that only has a one or two star rating, right? So same thing with podcasts. you're going through a podcast and you only have a limited amount of time, you're only going to listen to the ones that others say that it is good and it is profitable for education. So please do that. I'd appreciate that very, very much. So again, I want to thank every one of you for joining in. Find a way to be a blessing to someone in your life, whether it be a coworker, family member, or even a stranger. You could bless somebody simply by opening a door and smiling and saying hi. Then if you want to go more and bless people with a financial blessing or go pay your neighbor's electric bill. You know what you want? Don't tell them. You can't tell them you did it. But if you want to see somebody get excited, go pay their electric bill for them. You know, you just never know how you can bless people. But above all, I want you back next week. So be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk,
0: a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com.
1: And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coronertraining.
0: 3617-1024 scene en route to Morgue.